Good morning. If I didn't have a chance to say howdy to you, please don't leave before you say howdy to me. And by the way, you'll remember my name much easier than I'll remember yours, so I would appreciate a little bit of grace as I try to remember everybody's name. But I want to tell you something. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you're here today. And I thank you for being family that I didn't know about. It always encourages me when I see Christians here in America in different towns and around the world when I have traveled who, being from different countries, different cultures, I'm I'm talking about from Virginia to, uh, uh, to Michigan, Different likes, different dislikes, different dress. They even have, have different obsessions. I mean, down where we come from, it's, it's, it's something uh, called a hokey, and I don't know what that is. And you've got something called lions up here. All I know is I follow the line of Judah, Amen. Uh, I do want to take one quick second and uh, thank Scott and Sam for overwhelming hospitality. In fact, I was thinner when I got here Friday, (laughs) but I'm looking at this as a blessing. I have been watching and looking at your services for probably about six weeks, uh, maybe a little bit longer. Didn't you really appreciate Craig Clapper? Last week I noticed he did something before the sermon or when he got started. You remember the red rings that he brought out? The hula hoops that he put on the ground? Do you remember what that was for? What was it for? Didn't have anything to do with this church. What did it have to do with? You and your relationship with the Father, right? It was actually a call for revival. He even used the term, let it begin with me. And if you are wanting to do that, he said, just, just come and let the Father know and step in the ring, just between you and him. But I want to tell you what, that was a powerful witness, not just here, but in Virginia, where I was. And anybody else that happened to have seen that. Now, I don't know how many people were in the building at the time, but it sure looked to me like almost everybody that was here came forward. You reminded me of something. The Second Chronicles 7.14. You've heard this before, I bet. Solomon is being informed by God that he is going to build a temple for him. And there's a statement that he makes about people and whether his people are going to follow him. And Second Chronicles 7.14 reads, If my people who were called by... You know what I'm saying now, don't you? If my people who were called by my name will what? They will humble themselves, right? And pray and seek my face and turn from their sin. If you do that, then I will, what? I will hear 
from heaven, right? And forgive their sin and heal their land. Do you remember verse 15, the next verse? He says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers in this place. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the hill where the temple was going to be built and his house was going to be. And it's to be a house of what? A house of prayer, right? Family, this is to be a house of prayer. And your commitment to revival, your commitment to following and seeking his face and praying, I believe he will hear from this place. Father God, we thank you for your gift of love and your gift of mercy and your gift of life and your gift of grace. I thank you, Father, for the fact that you were willing to come and change my life. I thank you, Father, that that cross is real and it was there. I thank you, Father, that you, as God in the form of man, you were willing to show us what humility is. And you also showed us that there is life beyond what we know. We thank you, Father, that you love us enough that you put up with our idiotic ways. You put up with our simple minds and our lack of understanding. And you continue to offer yourself openly. And we thank you, Father, that we can come into your presence no matter how we are. And we thank you, Father, that when we have opened your word and we have listened through prayer to you, that we can go away changed. As we open your word today, Lord, I pray that you will set my sin aside and you will just speak through me. May we hear what your spirit has to say. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to talk just a little bit about the life of Paul today because I was trying to figure out what to do. And I got 14 years worth of sermons that I've gotten. It's hard to pick from that big of a number. And I finally just decided last week that I think this is a good place for us to be. If I only have one sermon that I'm ever going to give here, I would like to leave you with this one. So we're going to talk a little bit about Paul and specifically about the doors that opened in Paul's life. And I'm not going to cover everything. If you want to hear everything, you've got to have me back because there's a part two. <laughs> but I want to see and talk just a little bit about the open doors, the opportunities that God created for Paul to move the kingdom of God Forward Now, some of those doors are explicit in Scripture. Some of those doors are implicit. You, you do that sometimes, don't you? You read between the lines, understanding what's there? Okay. Well, we are first introduced to Paul 
as Saul, as a Pharisee, when Stephen was killed. Over in Acts 8, we find Paul standing by watching the coats of those who were picking up rocks and bashing Stephen to death. Many years later, he is standing in the throne room of King Agrippa under arrest, a changed man. As he's talking to him, now Acts 26, we see that he is taking full responsibility for that act. For he tells him in Acts 26.10, he tells Agrippa, he says, When they, Jesus' disciples, were put to death, I cast my vote against them, taking full responsibility for murder. In fact, he tells Agrippa in verse 11 that he was obsessed with slaughtering the blasphemers. If you have your Bible, once you took it up, pick it up and turn to it, turn to Acts 9. We're going to look just briefly in this area. I'm not going to read this whole story. I think most of y'all are probably aware of it. But you may want to be skimming while I'm talking. So go ahead and turn to Acts 9. I'm going to read a little bit from the, the NIV 1984. That's kind of where we were standard on in, in Salem. So Uh, That's kind of what I've got. I tend to use different translations. I do use the ones that I think give the force of the original language the best. And after all, they're all just translations. Translators got to write something down. And they're all for us. Bless the Holy Spirit for getting us multiple ways to look at things so that we can learn truth through those translations. And you may not have the NIV in front of you, but if you follow along, I think you will find that it says just about the same thing. There is this section here that starts off there in chapter uh, 9 of Acts. And in the NIV, there is a title for this section. It's not necessarily in every uh, translation, but they title off the individual section. Anybody got an NIV? What's the title there? Saul's what? Saul's conversion. Okay. Saul's conversion. Conversion to what? From what? Let's get back to that in just a second. Why is this not called Saul's call? You ever stop to think about that? Why is this not called Saul's call? And you know, that begs another question. When was Saul called? What we do know is a little bit about Paul's upbringing. Do you remember that? Where he was trained? Where he came from? We see over in Acts 22... I would have it on the wall if it were turning. (laughs) 
I'll let y'all catch up with me when you can get it, get it hit. Uh, Acts 22 at verse 3, Paul's talking to the Jerusalem crowd. One more. There we go. Nope. There we go. Now we're on. Thank you. Thank you, Houston. He's talking to the Jerusalem crowd who, by the way, is not very uh, liking of what Paul's been doing and what he's been saying. But he says this. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarshish of Sicilia, Cilicia. You got to pardon my southern tongue. It does get twisted. Cilicia, brought up here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel, who was one of the chief rabbis of the day, attested to in literature outside of the Bible. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as jealous for God as any of you today. What's he saying? He's saying, I was raised in a godly home. I was raised in the church. I went to the best religious school and had the best teachers that anybody could have. Where? In the world. Right? By the way, anybody here? Anybody here? Can you say, I was raised in the church? If you can't, say, say, I was raised in the church. Hey, several of you. Good. I understand that. You realize that's what Paul's saying? I was raised. In the church. So when was Saul, Paul, called by God? If you think about it, it doesn't take but a few minutes, but if you think about it, it's a pretty easy answer. The same time you were called, you who were raised in the church. You see, he grew up in a faithful home taught by faithful teachers and he always knew that he was called to serve God. I believe that's a natural call for anybody who was raised in the faith. Friends, why is it we discount that natural call? Why is it we think that if we were raised in the church and, and, and we've lived a, a life that may have been more moral than somebody else and we don't have this great big conversion experience that happened, why is it that we discount that when it comes to us trying to talk to somebody else about faith? Why is that? I want to tell you something that you may not know. In America, even today, the average person is probably a fairly good moral person. They have good values. They probably consider themselves ordinary. And have you ever thought that somebody who had an ordinary call to Christ all of their life could actually reach somebody who thinks they're ordinary and maybe better than somebody who's had a drastic experience? I'm not saying if you've had a drastic experience, that isn't part of your call to God and that you can't use that. What I am saying is don't 
discount the natural call of God. Because most people don't have deep, dark secrets. What they have is a God-shaped hole in their soul that only God can fill. You see, Saul was always a man after God's own heart. Eric Hoffer, many years ago, back in the 20s and 30s, he, he was, a, was a, an arm tree philosopher, psychologist, well, well known in his day. He wrote a book called The True Believer. And if you think about it, that's really what Paul was. Paul was someone who all of his life was totally sold out for God. He was an absolute true believer, okay? Paul's problem was not sincerity. Paul's problem was that he was wrong. But do you see what Paul did? When he came to clarity about who Jesus was and about how he was the Father God that they, the Jews, had been worshiping for centuries And he had come in the flesh to be Messiah, not to establish an earthly king, but to kingdom, but to establish a universal kingdom that transcends time, transcends space, transcends color, transcends where we live in this world. God made flesh dwelt among us, paid for our sins because we can't. Rose from the dead so we can have hope beyond this life. You see, when Paul came to clarity, He adjusted to the truth. And we adjust to the truth. Not the other way around. You see, sincerity is not always the benchmark for what's true. Because you can be sincere and be totally wrong. The benchmark for truth is our creator who came in the flesh and he told us about who he is. Everything? Of course not. We can't understand everything about him. But we can understand what he left for us and we can see his spirit moving through the words that we have in our Bibles. Amen? Amen. So, Paul's call, honestly, was no more dramatic than our own. Make sure that changes. Paul's call was no more dramatic than our own. Now, his, his correction was dramatic, but his call was a, was a simple one. So, friends, the first door that I see in in Paul's life that we can learn from 
is that door that we are all called. We need to get it out of our head that Paul had some kind of special calling. He had a special assignment, yes, but it was the same call. By the way, you have assignments, and they're not the same ones that Paul had. And you're called just the same. What is it that makes Paul's ministry so memorable? You ever stop to think about that? Now I know what you're doing. You're going through, what's the stories? What's the stories? But really what it comes down to is he was willing to walk through the doors that God opened. Not only that, he was willing to walk down the road looking for a door of opportunity to speak the name of Jesus Christ and to spread the kingdom. Friend, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be humble enough to answer God's call on your life? To look for the divine appointments that he puts in front of you? So Paul's call is common to all Christians. But let's get back to the question. What was Saul, what was Paul converted to? So let's go back to Acts 22. And we read there again, under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. If you know anything about Jewish history, you know that they took these Ten Commandments that God gave, and in their attempt to honor what God had set up, they created some 613 other laws to make sure that they put a hedge around those ten that they wouldn't do, and a whole conglomeration of religious practice built up. And Paul was thoroughly trained in all of that. In other words, he was steeped in religion, the religion of his forefathers. Not a whole lot of difference from us, especially those of us who, who grew up in the church. Yeah? I want you to think about it. I was carried to church in a bundle before I could walk and could talk. I had a string of perfect attendance pins from Sunday school that was 14 years long. And it would have been longer if I hadn't turned 15 and deliberately skipped church so I didn't have to go get another pin. I was in the children's choir, in the teen choir. I played church basketball from the third grade through high school. I did memory work. I went to camp. I acted in kids' plays. I knew all the right answers. I knew who to look up to and who to look down on. Yeah, I said it. I picked up on the attitudes as well as the lessons. Even in college, I got a Bible degree. I figured I might as well. I've been studying this all of my life. This will be easy A's. I knew all the right people. I knew all the right answers. I had the right theology, and yet there was someone that I didn't hardly know at all. I didn't know Jesus. 
son of a preacher, of a college professor, stuffed with biblical facts to the point of spiritual obesity, and I did not know Christ. I left Milligan College with the right degree and a mixed-up agnostic heart. You know why? Because like Paul, I needed conversion. Paul tells us that he had a firm grip on religion, yet what he missed was a relationship with a God that loved him enough, he would die for him. That's the second door that opened in Paul's life. And it's right there in Acts 9. You can read it if you haven't glanced over it already. It's that door where we move from religion to relationship. Do you realize that? Do you realize your heavenly father wants a relationship with you? Now, I understand earthly parents, and we have to have grace because we're all fallen, but there are some that are really fallen, and you may not have had a good relationship with your parents. Maybe your relationship was stronger with your grandparents. But don't you know that those who love you want a relationship? I mean, we can serve God by going through the motions. We can sing. We can stand. We can sit. We can walk out. We can pay our dues as the plate goes by. I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm just saying you can't let that take the place of a relationship. That day between Jerusalem and Damascus, Jesus showed up in Paul's life and converted his religion into a relationship with God Almighty. In my case, that conversion came through the blessing of parenthood because all of a sudden, as a father began to recognize the kind of relationship that my heavenly father wanted with me now that's a long story for a different day and someday we may get to that but today we're talking about Paul we're talking about Saul but I want you to think for a second just just where you are you don't have to answer out loud just think how do how did you make that change from religion to relationship Or maybe for some of you, when, when are you going to make that change from religion to being a part of your forever family? You see, here's the thing. Religion can lead us to hate, to an us and them mentality. But when we have a relationship with Christ and we're trying to grow to be more like him, we are trying to see people the way God sees them. As a soul that he created, 
as a soul that he loved, as a soul that he died for, and as a soul that he gave you knowledge of because you're going to be a part of bringing that person into the forever family. You see, relationship will cause us that when we disagree with people, we look at them as our enemy. And yet, that relationship that we have with God allows us to look at people with love. A decision to treat the other person as though they are valuable because they are valuable to God. Religion may even cause us to want to kill those who oppose us. Whereas a relationship with God should cause us to be self-sacrificial, to lay down our lives for that other person's eternal destiny. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once penned, when God calls a man, he calls him to come and to die. To die to selfishness. To die to self-interest. To die to self-preservation. To die to pride. Jesus talked about this as well. He said, if any one of you wants to follow me in my footsteps, he must first give up all right to himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For the man who wants to save his life will lose it, but the man who loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he says, For what good is a man if he gains the whole world at the price of his soul? What could a man offer to buy back his soul once it is lost? See, religion, re- religion is, is us trying to buy back our soul, if you really want to think about it that way. It's what we do to try to earn God's favor. Yet, when we are rightly related to the Father... We see his grace for what it is, unmerited, undeserved, and unfailing. That brings us to the third door I'm going to speak about today, and that is Paul went through clarity, and that clarity leads to obedience. Paul submitted to Christian baptism and received the gift of the indwelling of God's Spirit. In fact, he fasted for three days and he did that before he even took food or cleaned himself up. If you don't think Paul holds baptism in high regard, just just read about what he did and what he said about it. He very much believes in baptism as part of that process of salvation 
In fact, in Galatians 3.27, Paul says that it's in our baptism where we put on Christ, where we are clothed with Christ. And in Romans 3, Romans 6, 5 through 3, Romans 6, 3 through 5, you guys are making me nervous. <laughs> Romans 6, 3 through 5, you know what Paul says? He says, we're died and we're buried. We don't live in the life of sin anymore. And don't you realize that that baptism is what gives you the hope of resurrection? It's in Romans 6. It's right there. Friend, if God has the power to change Saul, to change Paul from persecutor to the most influential preacher that the world will ever know outside of Jesus Christ, he certainly has the power to change us as well. Don't ever forget that God is continually calling all men and women to him and he knows exactly what you were and what you can become. You do realize that you're here today because he called you. Now you may not feel called. Doesn't matter. You're called just the same. Everyone is. Everyone's called with the the same process. We must hear the truth and adjust to it or not. That is our choice. I would hope you would adjust. Each of us must move from going from going through religious motions into a real and vibrant relationship with God. And that comes to understanding that it is not about us. It is about him. All of life is about him. And realizing that we are at our best when we allow him to take control of our lives. And being here is about helping us to grow so we can go and grow God's family. Introducing souls that Jesus loves and died for to the greatest father they will ever have. And when we come to clarity about this relationship, he wants us to be with him and to respond. To act on even the little bit of faith that we have in Christ, the son of the living God, and to give our life over to him. Confess his name. Be baptized, coming into covenant with him. We can talk more about that too. but coming into covenant with him, giving him everything we are because he's already given us everything he is. And see how he will use you for his glory. Father God, we thank you for this life 
And we thank you, Father, that you haven't ever left us alone. We thank you for the fact that not only did your spirit inhabit Christ, but you give us the hope of your indwelling spirit as well when we are willing to give our life over to you. Father, we thank you for changing us and giving us an opportunity to have hope that goes beyond this world. And we thank you for this time now and for the invitation that is today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, it all comes down to a man dying on the cross saving the world. If you have a decision that you need to make, maybe you just need to do that right there. Maybe you've kind of wandered a little bit while the rest of us sing. How about you talk to your father and you come back to him? If you haven't ever made the step to become part of Christ, but you feel that you want to do that, come talk to me. You want to do it today? I bet you there's water in that baptistry. We can do it. You want some time to talk? I'm going to be here. I got all afternoon. I'll be glad to talk to you today. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?